Welcome to Episode 1 of The Parent's Guide to Uni, produced in the studios of Phoenix Radio at the University of Southern Queensland, Springfield Campus. This podcast series will help you understand university so that you can support your child or children when they're deciding what to do after school. You'll hear from other parents, academics, career practitioners and students like Riley. Yeah, Dad was one of those people who really tried to get me a professional cricket player. Oh, right. He always said, you should become a cricket player. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm not making this team, so it might be hard to make the Australian team in a couple of years' time. After this episode, you'll know everything you need to know about applying for university. I'm Spencer Halson, and my co-host is USQ School Engagement Coordinator, Michelle Killen. Hello, Michelle. Hi, Spencer. Also in this episode are Philippa Garmany, Manager of Domestic Recruitment and Admissions at the University of Southern Queensland, and Kirsty Silk, who has one child at high school and another already at uni. Kirsty is also manager of USQ's school engagement team. How does my young person apply to university? Well, Michelle, the information from a Year 12 student is basically collated by QTAC. Uh, Queensland Tertiary Admissions Centre. So for a Year 12 student to apply to university, the easiest and quickest way is to go through QTAC. We take their Year 12 results, they're downloaded to QTAC, and then when we they go and make their application via the QTAC online system, um, they select which course they want to apply for. So the, the application process is quite separate from the various universities, and, and including this university. Yes, Spencer, that's right. And it's the same for all universities. Um, we... We take the information from a centralised body and whatever the preferences that the student has nominated uh, for what type of program that they are looking to do, um, then they get assessed through QTAC. So, Philippa, does that also apply for the enabling programs that the university might have? Uh, No. So, by enabling, you're talking about those programs that would help a student perhaps improve their OP that they've received at the end of the year or give them a pathway into a certain type of, uh, with a prerequisite subject. Yes, now they're done uh, via directly through USQ and you access those through the USQ website and, and complete your online application with USQ. Episode two, by the way, is all about those enabling programs. That's in episode two of The Parent's Guide to Uni. But that, that's, a, that's a good point to keep in mind then, that because those programs, especially the one that's run over the summer, you want to apply for, if you think you might need it, you have to apply for that at the same time, essentially, as you're applying for university. It all happens simultaneously because and you don't know what the OP is when you need to actually start in that enabling program. That's exactly right, Spencer. Yes, that's right. So, you know, and the sooner you think, if you if you feel that you're not going to perhaps get the OP that, you, that you'd hoped for, that would be a great time to start, enrol- to start applying for um, app to the tertiary part, to the TPP program or the AEPP program. Philippa, what are adjustment factors and what do parents really need to understand about adjustment factors? They are special um, adjustments to your OP that can be added on at the time you apply based on certain factors. So one of them is um, your proximity to the university. So um, if, you, if we've got a university campus in Toowoomba and you live in Toowoomba, you can get um, additional points to come to study at your local university. Um, there's other ones based around um, economic disadvantage or um, other ones based on your specialised sporting skill or uh, performing arts skills that you might have. And there's also other ones based on special subjects that you might have done. So if you've done um, a Head Start program at, at high school and done additional subjects while you were in year 11 or 12, you can get extra points onto your OP. They don't permanently adjust your OP, but they help you for your entry at that point in time. So you can go up by a maximum of 10 rank points or four OP points. 
But those adjustment factors are a really valuable tool for those students that are studying in re- uh, regional or remote areas. They can get points for being so far away from a university. And conversely, we give you points if you live right next door to a university campus as well. Um, as I said, it's, it's a really it's a handy thing for students that are might be borderline on their OP if it means that they're only going to be one point away from what they wanted to do and they make decisions being made as to whether they go to Toowoomba or they go to Brisbane, they can get an extra couple of points for staying and doing it locally, and that might get them into the program they want. So as a parent, if I wanted to find out, you know, if there's any potential adjustment factors for my young person, would I potentially, what, contact the university, or is that still a question that goes to QTAC? This, for Year 12s, it goes through QTAC. Um, okay. The adjustment factors are calculated by by QTAC. Okay. Their QTAC guide and online has a very detailed information about how they what what is covered and how they are added on to the to the process at application time. So QTAC would be the best bet for those. So if a young person's doing VET at school, how do they apply to get that recognised as part of their entry. So Michelle, they actually apply the same way an an OP um, student would apply. Their VET qualifications are, as the same as an OP is, is converted into what they call a, a rank or an entry rank. Um, it's a, sta- a standardised system that we, we basically use across the institutions and we convert that into a rank. Uh, we have a minimum rank level that they have to meet to at- for access to different types of programs and each of those programs has a different rank. So a VET student would take their Cert 3, Cert 4, Diploma, whatever they've finished, that whichever they've completed or even in some cases partially completed and we get that converted based on uh, schedules that are administered by QTAC. One of the things that we've been hearing in schools recently, particularly with the changeover to ATAR as opposed to the OP, is our university is going to continue taking that VET as an entry into university? USQ definitely are. We've always been committed to VET um, and, and using that as a pathway to university study and we will continue to do so in the ATAR world as well. Um, the schedules are, that are used to assess those things aren't going to be available on the QTAC website as of 2021. Um, but we will man- manage those. Um, we, we are what they call self-accrediting universities or institutions, and we are able to make our own determination about using that as, to convert it into a rank the same way we do now. There will be no change, for, and the same for performing arts. So if a young person had questions or their, or their parents had questions about what kind of a, a rank would their VET qualification get them, what's the best way to go about finding out? So if a parent or a student wants more information about how the VET would convert to a rank and what that would then mean they'd have eligible entry for, they can call our dedicated uh, future student call centre uh, and speak to one of our student relationship officers to get more detailed information about how that works based on what they've actually, what they're studying, because it is different for, for Cert 3, Cert 4 and Diploma. They get uh, their ranks, uh, the resulting rank is different. Um, and then it'll also depend on how that correlates to what they actually are interested in studying. And, and just to explain, I guess, for, for parents who, who maybe are not even aware what we're talking about with, with VET here, it's, it's essentially um, students doing a TAFE course, um, as you say, Cert 2, Cert 3 diploma while they're at high school. And that uh, contributes to an OP equivalent or a rank at the end of high school. That's right, Spencer. Yeah. It's not actually, it's, these are usually students that are OP ineligible. They haven't, they haven't done the whatever subjects they need to do to, to, to derive an OP. They've decided not to go down that pathway. Um, and, but there are some students that decide to do both. I, they're fairly, fairly uh, rare. But in this case, it's more often those students that decided they wanted to get some skills behind them in year 11 and 12, um, vocational education training. It's such a shame that it's described as being OP ineligible, isn't it? Because a lot of these students, they make that decision. Yes. <laughs> and going forward, they were not going to have an ATAR ineligible schedule. They're just going to be, it'll either be ATAR or nothing. So 
you can still do the vet, but um, we will be one of the institutions that will let them in. And ATAR is the new OP in, in three years' time. Yes. Just, just yep. for anyone yes. who's yes. In the year 20. not aware of that. But that's not the, it's not an issue for this year or next year. But if your child is in what, grade, grade 10 grade. this year, this is going to be your world. Right now and they're selecting subjects to, to derive their ATAR at the end of 2020. Yeah. So that's exactly right. Kirsty, what's the biggest challenge for you as a family when your young person was applying for university? I think it was the amount of choices that he had um, and the overwhelming information he had through school, through university expos, through um, bringing uh, undergraduate guides home to talk about different courses. It was a case of having dinner table conversations where we narrowed down his choices. Well, what do you want to do? What area of study? And he knew he wanted to do law. So once we'd kind of got narrowed down to law, then we started looking at well, where would you like to go and do law? And encouraging him to do his own research. I think um, the challenges for parents is that uh, we're often not the experts in this area. So, you know, actually encouraging your you know, son or daughter to do a bit of their own research, hop on websites, have a look around, come back with a few ideas. And we used to do that at the dinner table. We're all time poor. We're all busy. Um, this is not a quick conversation. Okay, at home, it's definitely one of Nor those. Nor is it a single conversation. No, it's yeah. multiple. Yeah. Um, you know, let them let them have a bit of space to go around and investigate themselves and then come back and, sh- and you know, talk it through with you and siblings. You know, younger brother was joining in um, every other time. And, yeah, I think he, he did. He did his own research. He started looking around for university websites on what, what was a good feel for him. And, and young people are very good at, understanding themselves and where they want to go and where they think they will fit in and that's what he did yeah and what about the application process itself so when he decided what he wanted to apply for was he able to do that all on his own or did you actually sort of I actually didn't see him do it (laughs) so he he did it completely on his own he um school did you know, remind them over and over again of when the QTAC open date was. So that was a big deal. You know, we remember having, oh, QTAC open date is next week and don't forget. And and then he did it himself. Yeah, he, you know, they can go online and do it. Um, he kind of sat there when he was doing his preferences. That's the biggest hurdle, I think, is you've got multiple preferences and he knew he wanted to do law and he wanted to do this university. So he only wanted to put one choice down. And school are constantly, you know, and, and advisors are saying, put the seven preferences down. And how did he choose seven? That that was that, you know, something that I've just remembered during this conversation that that was really tricky. So we did sit there with him and go through preference two, preference three, <laughs> preference four, you know, as a group. Um, but you know, yeah, he, they c- he could completely do it on his own. But there is a chance to change those preferences, isn't there, Absolutely. as you go through? So yeah. you're not locking it in, but it's just it's just getting it in. It's just getting an answer in, Eddie, and then you can kind of come <laughs> back and change it later if you if you really want to. That was yeah. such a good um, feeling, you know, around the family that it was like, okay, it's done, mm, mm. <laughs> you know? Okay, go have dinner now. Um, so once you got that done, that's right. We had a few conversations in the next few weeks about changing preferences, et cetera, and how QTAC make it very easy. So their website is very self-explanatory. You're listening to The Parent's Guide to Uni, a podcast series from the University of Southern Queensland. Studying at university isn't cheap, but the good news is there are scholarships and bursaries to make things a bit easier. Do we have an idea of how much they're for when we're talking scholarships? Yeah, that's what I want to know. Show us us the money. How much is in this big bucket of yours, Isabel? So the Vice-Chancellor's Scholarship is the most lucrative for a school leaver. It's $12,000. As long as I've been here, it's been 40 per year. Want to know how to apply for a bursary or scholarship? It's all in Episode 5 of The Parent's Guide to Uni. Now back to Episode 1, Understanding the Uni Application Process. 
So what happens then over, over the summer? What's the what's the the timeline? Those you know the the the, the year twelve school leader leavers they get the preferences in, they go to the beach. What happens <laughs> they next? They go to schoolies. That's right. They go to schoolies. <laughs> what happens next? And I guess for me, I'm curious to know. I've always been curious to know from when I, it was me as as that school leader why it takes until. January to get the offers out. Why is it not just an instant chung? Well, they, they, at the end of the school year, they collate all their results through um, QCAA. So they are the ones that collate all of the uh, end of year 12 results. And they give those, and then they fi- get it the final um, OP and give it to QTAC. And then QTAC upload those results, and that's when everybody gets advised. So at that point, um, they start, QTAC would start making offers. Now, that normally happens um, in what they call the, the first offer round, which is normally um, around... Mm middle to late December, they have a, and then they would have a top-up round somewhere in the middle of January. Now, those dates change each year. Um, but these results are, are published to the students, they, they, they know, and then they, then they start panicking about when they're going to get their offer. So QTAC do it in a round system. Now, the, the other side to that is that those students applying with VET don't have to wait for their um, results. They can, be, they can get an early offer. They can get an offer based on at any point once they've completed or they've provided evidence uh, when they apply because most universities, including USQ, um, operate on a daily offer system. So they will take an, an offer and offer to students on a daily basis. If they apply one, you know, on a Monday, um, they go into the queue and once, they, once their application is assessed, the same day they can be made an offer. Um, not necessarily the same day they apply, but obviously as we work through the the, um, the queue of applicants, then they, there's no they don't hold back for any particular offer round. Um, but students, year twelve students who are finishing, do need to wait for their results. And the reason for the for that gap between the OP and the offer, well, uh, part, partly it's a different OP per course per year, isn't it? It's a, it's supply and demand. Correct. Well, that's right. Yeah, it is. But it's also QTAC have just got to work through the, um, you know, the fifty odd thousand students that um, that are that are graduating and process all those applications. They will have pre-assessed some of them, but then they've got to basically do that process again based on what their results were. And once you've got an offer, that's when you again have the chance to look through your preferences, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, you, can, you, could, you don't have to accept the offer you've been made. If you suddenly changed your mind and you want to take up, um, you, can, you can reject that and you can speak to QTAC about um, your second preference and, and so forth. Or you may miss out on your first round offer, but it might be that they offered it to, um, to other students who don't take it up and then you can get an offer in the second round, so, mm. which will be mid-January. So there's always, uh, you know, we always... We for years, everyone's been told, "Don't don't panic if you don't get your first round offer. It might be, uh, it might come to fruition anyway." We went through that with Harvey. Um, his first preference was a very high OP, and he was just not sure if he was going to get that OP with his prediction and everything. But it was first preference. Um, we knew that second preference he would get that because he definitely got the right OP. So he did get offered his second preference, but he did get a really good for like they actually get a text when your offer is there. So that's changed. Um, So almost like OP results day, okay, then you get a text um, for that first offer round going, go check your QTAC website, there is an offer for you. Um, And for him, it was his second preference. But he did um, contact the university and talk to them about, what about my first preference? And there's so much help out there. The universities are very, very good at supporting those conversations and he was fine you know they'd said look there may be a place come available but you should accept your second offer and then just wait and see if you know something changes with that one I think as what in in conjunction with what Kirsty's just explained is that I think um, some universities do have quota managed programs where they only have a certain number of spots Um, it's not that USQ only have a very very small number of programs that are quota managed so we've always been in the you know traditionally been one of those universities that 
if you're offered a place, you will get your place, you know. So um, we, but there are other, for other, for students who are applying to other universities, it's not quite as, as you will have some timeframes if you don't accept your offer um, that will be allocated to somebody else. So there is a time impetus in some cases. You talked about quota managed. Can you just run us through quickly what that means? So a quota managed is where a, uh, a particular school or a particular program, where they only have enough capacity to have a certain number of students at one time. Um, USQ have only ever had a, a couple and we've added another one this year, more along the lines of the ones that need um, sort of placements or specialised lab- laboratory um, functionality f- to teach the courses within the program. So for those... So those ones, you know, we will have a quota and that quota can change year on year depending on how many continuing students they have. Um, it's that's something that you can get advice about from the university um, on a case-by-case basis. But as a general rule of thumb with USQ and most of the, most, the vast majority of their programs, we will take as many students as who qualify and who are willing to, um, to come on board. For parents listening and thinking, gee, I actually might want to go study myself, what's their process for enrolling or, or, or at least applying to university? So with USQ, you apply directly with the USQ at the online application. Um, you're selecting the postgraduate pathway. So, And then there's a plethora of courses they can choose from depending on what area they're looking to do. Um, they apply uh, directly to the university. We take that, in most cases, a postgraduate course, you have to have had some sort of undergraduate degree. Um, if they want to apply for an undergraduate program, they can, um, they, and they've not studied with USQ before, they go straight to QTAC, same as a year 12 student would. So does that mean it's using your, it might be your TE score from 1988, for example, that is what's used, or your GPA from another uni in yes. 1991, yes. for argument's sake? I'm just year. taking notes here about I, my enrolment. I was the last year of TE, Spencer, so yes, that was 1991. And it's still <laughs> and used, You can still it? use my, yes, I've actually had my, my TE converted to a current rank just to see where I would be, and yeah, you could use that. I mean, whilst the score level of skill that you might have picked up 26 years ago at high school may have faded somewhat... Um, the the concept is that whatever you, year twelve equivalency, you know, if I've done other study, which I have since then, you, you that would be the most recent study that they would use as to give you entry. But if I was going straight from something I did twenty five years ago and wanting to do undergraduate study, they do take that into account. They'll also take into account any work experience that you might have done. That can be assessed as well. If you're if you've been working in a surveying office for the last fifteen years and you're you know you've been doing everything or everything but have a uh, tertiary qualification in surveying. They can assess what you've been doing based on your position description and based on, you know, a letter from your employer about the duties that you fill. They might be able to meet some credits for courses on, uh, to do with surveying. So you can you can get some of those things to help you get into uh, into the course as well as give you credits for some um, subjects within it. And, of course, you could have done a Certificate 3, Certificate 4 through mm. your employment and, again, that pathways, that's yeah. still counted as entry. Very much yeah. so. Kirsty, what would be the main thing you would say to other parents who are... You know, they're, they're the audience of, of this podcast. You you work within the system here at USQ, but as you've said, you're a parent of a, a couple of kids yourself. Mm. What's you know what's the main thing that you, that you would advise parents to consider and do and think about? You, you actually, this is one point in their young life that you need to give them time. You need to sit and have those conversations with them. Um, you need to let them self explore. I think, and encourage them to hop on websites, go with them. Um, Just keep an eye on those dates um, because they won't. (laughs) Um, You know, so make sure you're aware of those dates yourself as well so that you're getting ready for that. Okay, they're going to get their offers on this date. Um, But I think it's just time. It is a really crucial point in their young life that they're going to need you and they're going to need to bounce ideas off you. And um, they're obviously quite an independent group of young people nowadays, but they still need 
um, parents for that discussion and that bouncing ideas, yeah. I reckon as well, bouncing ideas off other parents is a good thing to do. But, Absolutely. But by the time you're a year 12 parent, you're not having the same interaction with the other parents yep. as you did when, when it was back so in grade true. one and you so were all true. standing there at the school yeah. gate. Yeah. You, so it might be your own circle of friends, but you need to almost force yourself into that parent group at your school and talk to the other parents. Yeah. I was, I was um, obviously one of the parents that people, my friends used to come and talk to because you work at a university, come and talk to Jenny about this. And um, that was interesting because, yeah, I do work at university, so I understand the pathway options, the degrees, the majors, the minors, the, you know, how you can specialise in a particular degree. Or you can, as Philippa said, you can start in a degree and change your mind and swap that degree and move into another one. So it's not set in stone. And, yeah, I think you're right. Having conversations with other parents can kind of ease your mind a little bit that they're going through exactly the same thing. You can ring the university. Pick up the phone, give them a ring. As the mum or dad, there is no question that is too silly for these guys. They will answer anything. They are so supportive and they deal with um, phone calls <laughs> like this from parents like us all the time, every day. All the time. You know, all the time. So I think, yes, Q, we've said QTAC quite a lot. QTAC is the place to go. It's a website. There is a phone call, a hotline that you can call, but it's a it's an outside agency. And if you feel more comfortable ringing your local university, then I encourage you to pick up the phone and ring and talk to somebody because they will help you, um, you know, with those dinner table conversations. And, and you can be a bit more informed when you're then talking to your young person because you've got that in your head. You understand it more. I think that's important. Yeah, and don't feel intimidated. Absolutely. Um, perhaps if you've not been to uni or this is your first child that's going to university, um, when, you know, we're all normal, friendly, happy people, yeah. aren't we yeah. here? There's, you know, it's not what you've seen on telly, you know, the, the timber walls and the crusty old old professors. No. I mean, there might be one or two of those around, but I've not seen any at USQ, I've got to say. I don't know where you hide them all. No. Um, yeah, phone, yeah. Drop, drop in. Well, phone, email, drop in, yeah. um, chat. We've got chat functionality for our future students if that's something that you'd prefer to do. Um, you know, it's it, plenty of avenues and my team is always there ready to, to take your calls and answer whatever they can about not only, uh, you know, what the program could lead to and, and fewer, um, future opportunities, but also things like fees and what yeah. residential schools are all about and, um, you know, what happens in the first week and things like that. So any questions you've got. In the next episode of The Parent's Guide to Uni, different ways of getting into university, especially if your child's school results need a bit of a boost or if they haven't completed prerequisite subjects. The big one is the English prerequisite. So both the Accelerated Entry Year 12 program and the Tertiary Preparation program offer two courses that together make up the English prerequisite for entry into just about any program in USQ. That's coming up in episode two. If you know other parents who could benefit from this podcast, please tell them about it. And for more information about the University of Southern Queensland, visit usq.edu.au. Today's world is more competitive, challenges are more complex, industries more rapidly changing, employers more demanding. You need to think bigger, act faster, work smarter. And to do it, you need to be more than skilled, more than relevant, more than qualified, more than confident, more than employable. Become more with the University of Southern Queensland, the number one uni for graduate employment in Queensland. Apply now at usq.edu.au.